Hey, good morning. Oh, I shaved. Yeah, I did. A lot of kind of comments along the lines of, thanks for shaving. Yeah, I don't know. Looks good now. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know what you mean by that. So, appreciate you. Um, maybe let's talk about uh, honest communication. Let's talk. Uh, if we haven't uh, got a chance to meet before, my name's Tim, and I get to surf here and uh, teach on uh, Sundays, unpack scripture, and really enjoy getting to do that. This Sunday uh, is a Sunday uh, in the in the year that we call Palm Sunday or Triumphal Entry, and, and really what it is is uh, over the thousands of years since uh, Jesus, that we as we remember and relive the final weeks of his life, this next Sunday, a week from today, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. We're going to have a big party here. Next week, yeah, yeah, and uh, but today, this Sunday, we remember when we relive when Jesus entered into Jerusalem uh, for the last time uh, before his arrest and eventual um, eventual death and resurrection. Uh, basically, he was coming into town. There's other people in town, and uh, their people were excited. They thought he, they were the mil- he was the military leader. They were hoping they thought he would you know drive out the Romans, and so they were they were pumped. And you think people get pumped about you know uh, political leaders today? I mean, people were Jesus came into town. People just rip branches off trees, palm branches. They're waving them around, and uh, you know here he comes, and uh, and he comes into town, comes into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and, but this. Uh, the, this last week of his life, if we're going to understand it well, if we're going to understand it well, we need to understand uh, why all these people were in Jerusalem in the first place. What was going on? See, all, all these people were in Jerusalem for a festival. There's a spring festival that they celebrate year after year after year after year. And, uh, and, and it's the spring festival that um, all these people are there. And if we're going to understand the last week of Jesus' life, we need to understand how it's revolving around this spring festival. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going we're gonna to be moving fast. Are you ready to move fast today? So we're going to move fast, we're going to look at a lot of stuff, but we're going to be diving in this spring festival, see how it explains um, the last week of Jesus' life. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13, is where we're going to start. Exodus is way to the left in your Bible, it's after Genesis, it's before Leviticus, second book in the Bible. And... Uh, what we're, what we're about to read is God is giving instructions to these people. and He's actually speaking to people long before Jesus, over a thousand years before Jesus. He's speaking to these people called the Hebrew people. And um, this, this rescue event has just taken place. And he's giving them instructions for festivals and rituals to remember this rescue event. And, uh, and he gives them this instruction about the festivals and rituals. He says in verse uh, 14, he says, in, the, in days to come, when your son... Or daughter asks you, what does this mean? Like, what do these festivals, what do these rituals mean? Say to them, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. With a mighty hand, it doesn't, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the Lord brought our ancestors out of Egypt. It doesn't say the Lord brought our great, 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 great grandparents out of Egypt. The Lord brought, what's it say? Us. So this, the people Jesus was part of, for, for this people, they were people that this, this rescue, this, it wasn't just way back then and there. There were people, they had this identity. We were slaves in Egypt. The Lord rescued us 
this identity. They were, they, they were identified with the past. I, uh, sometimes people ask me about, you know, you know, you just be in a conversation with somebody that, talking about your family. And I found myself different times describing kind of where I come from. And I'll say, oh yeah, we're, we're Midwest German farmers. That's who we are. And it's like, do you live in the Midwest? No, but I, I grew up there. Do you know any German? No, but I can find it on a map of the country, you know. Have you farmed anything ever? Well, we had a little garden in the backyard once. Really, Christy did most of the work. But, you know, it's like, but no, you know, but I still, ah, we are Midwest German farmers, right? For these people, this is, we were slaves in Egypt. God rescued us. This isn't just something in the past. It's a living reality. So if you're, a, if you're, if you're Jesus, you're living in Jesus' day, where does your identity come from? Where does your understanding of who you are, how you fit in the world, how God relates to you, where does that come from? It comes from these scriptures, these stories, these songs, these festivals, these rituals. And for them, it wasn't just something that happened back then and there. It was a living, breathing reality. God rescued us when we were slaves in Egypt. Now, I want to look more at this rescue event to understand it, because this is the festival that Jesus, uh, when he comes to Jerusalem, is, is about all the people are celebrating. I want to look back at the event that's behind this festival. So flip back left in your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 1. So this, uh, this rescue event, the, uh, this people group, the Hebrew people group, which um, Jesus, uh, uh, in his day, the Hebrew people group are now called the Jews, but this Hebrew people group, they are slaves in Egypt. Have you, you know the old movie Ten Commandments? You know that, anybody? Prince of Egypt, the cartoon. This is the events, you know, this is the events that this is remembering. The Hebrews, they're slaves in Egypt. And the scripture uh, is presenting this as what happens when human self-centeredness, when human arrogance builds up ahead of steam. And so you've got these people, they're owned by the Egyptians. And, and chapter 1 is great, you should read it this week. There's this kind of showdown. The Pharaoh wants to begin, there's, he says there's too many of them. I want to I start eliminating these Hebrew slaves. And then there's a showdown between the king of Egypt and the Hebrew midwives. Which is kind of, it's a fascinating little account. But then what happens, um, the, the Hebrew midwives thwart the Pharaoh, but then the Pharaoh is going to, he decides to take it to a whole other level. And so at the end of chapter 1 we read in verse 22, this is what the Pharaoh decides to do. He says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. So he is now inviting all his people to participate in this thing. All his fellow Egyptians to participate in this thing. And this is what he invites them to. He says, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live He invites them to participate uh, in the killing of these kids. It's genocide. And, and, and biblically, scripturally, what we are to understand is this is, this is self-centeredness, arrogance taken to its logical extreme. This is what happens when, when, when you have self-centeredness, selfishness, apathy against suffering. When you, this belief that the more powerful are more important. You have this kind of human greed, this, 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 this kind of uh, uh, materialism, wanting more and more. When you take that to the logical extreme, Scripture is saying this is where it goes. This is what it looks like. This is a kingdom of darkness. 
And this kingdom of darkness, this way of acting out, has a whole belief system behind it. Because we always act out of our beliefs. And the belief system behind it, you had these, you had these Egyptian gods um, and, uh, and, and, and the Egyptian gods, the, the, because they were powerful, they could do whatever they wanted. The more po- being more powerful meant you were more important, you could do whatever you wanted. And they believed that, that Pharaoh was actually a god on earth. And because Pharaoh was a god on earth, that meant he was more important than the other people. And so he could do what he wanted, he could treat them how he wanted, he could be apathetic towards them, he could own them. A whole belief system that supported this. And because Pharaoh was a god on earth, when they read these, when they heard these words, every Hebrew boy throw them in an aisle, those were words from a god to them. Now think about that. If you believe that's the sort of thing a god says, how does that, what kind of life does that lead you? How does that lead you to treat other people? What kind of families does that form? What kind of friendships does that form? What kind of society does that form? A kingdom of darkness. Now, turn over a page to the right to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. We are offered a counter kingdom. There's another kingdom at work, a kingdom of God that we learn about. There's this man by the name of Moses. He's a Hebrew. Uh, one of the, he's one of this, uh, comes from this enslaved people. Uh, and uh, he's, he's out in the desert. And he's out in the desert. He's, he, he's shepherding. And he has this mystical encounter involving a bush that's on fire and doesn't burn up. We're very, some of us are familiar with the scriptural story, the biblical story, but that should sound a little weird to us. <laughs> Mystical encounter with the bush that's on fire doesn't burn up. Uh, but he hears the voice of God. And this is what he hears God saying. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So here we have a different belief system. A different kingdom being offered. A kingdom of God. A kingdom of light. Here, here God says, I, I see the lowest of the low. I see the slaves and I care about them. Here God says, I am not apathetic to suffering. I hear their cry and I move to compassion. Here God says, when I see them suffering, when I see them oppressed, I am moved to action to rescue them. Here God says, I, care. I hear the cry of oppressed and I care. This is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And then over the, over the coming chapter, six different times, God says, God delivers this message to Pharaoh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light clashing with the kingdom of darkness. And over and over again, God delivers this message. He says, let my people go free. I want them delivered. I want them rescued from the kingdom of darkness. He says, let let my people go free so that they may worship me. 
God wants this freedom for his people, but not just freedom to do whatever they want. He says, I want them free so they can come and worship me. And and when they worship me, when they worship the God who hears the cry of the oppressed, when they worship the God who sees the slave, when they worship the God who who is moved to compassion and moved to compassion, when they worship me, they will enter and begin living into the kingdom of light. It will form different kinds of people, different kinds of families, different kinds of friendships, a different kind of society. He says, I want to set them free and bring them into my kingdom. Now, flip to the right in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12. So these two, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness... God's kingdom, the kingdom of light, there's this clash that's taking place in the early chapters of Exodus. And essentially what's happening is, uh, is God is saying to Pharaoh, as Pharaoh continues to dig deeper into this kingdom of darkness, God says, I, I am going to allow creation to unravel around you. When you insist on living this way, reality doesn't function properly. I'm going to allow it to unravel around you. And has anybody, um, you know the movie The Lion King? Yeah. The end, Scar has been king over the Pride Lands, and, and because he's king, the whole thing turns into a dust bowl. It unra- creation stops working. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, by the way, I'm sorry that all my illustrations are children's movies. But that's, I just, I'm doing, I can't, uh, that's where I'm at right now. Um, <laughs> so, but there's this, it's, it's a little like that, that, When Pharaoh, when he insists on operating out of this kind of this self-centered, arrogant, apathetic, kind of greed-centered way that creation unravels around him, frogs and plagues and gnats and flies and darkness is just unleashed on Egypt. God says creation doesn't work. And uh, and it comes to a climax in Exodus chapter 12. Pharaoh has refused to grant freedom to this people and God is insistent on their freedom. In Exodus 12, starting in verse 1, we read this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community in Israel that on the tenth day of this month, so the tenth day of the first month of the year, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Skipping down to verse 5, The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. So get them on, pick them on the 10th day. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel, those are the Hebrew people, must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Skipping down to verse 12. On the same night, the same night that they put the blood on the door posts, on the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. This whole belief system, this whole way of of thinking that lies behind the kingdom of darkness. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. 
So this, this clash of kingdoms, it's coming to a climax. And God says, okay, this is, I want to set you free. And I, what, what I want you to do is every family, I want you to take a lamb on the 10th day of the month. And on the 14th day of the month, I want you to kill it. And you're going to take this blood. And I want you to put it on the sides of your door and the top of your door. And this, and th- through this, I am going to lead you into freedom. So I need, I need a few volunteers for the next, next part. Uh, I need four volunteers, and I need you to be able to wield a paintbrush. So just f- four people con- come on up to help me here. I know there's four people in here. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do is this is represents, thank you, sir. This represents the blood, and this will be your household door back there. Paint the side facing um, the congregation here. Here you go. Can you do this back, back one? That'll be your household door. All right. You do back center. It'll be your household door. Just like a stripe across the top, stripe on each upright. All right. Can you do this one right here? Thank you. And then I will do one too. Okay. So God gives them these instructions. He says, on the 10th day, pick a lamb. On the 14th day, every family will kill the lamb and then take the blood, put it on the upright part of their door, and put it on the cross beam part of the door. Thank you. And you can just put the paint back here when you're done with it. Now, what, what is going on here? What, what, what is going on when God is giving these instructions? I mean, God's saying, he's saying, I want to set you free. You're, you're, you're enslaved in this dominion of darkness. I want to bring you into my kingdom, the kingdom of light. Uh, God says, I want your freedom. And he doesn't give them a philosophical discourse on freedom. He gives them, he gives them this action, this picture I mean, think about it. Think about what it would be like for those, for those, first, those first slaves doing this in Egypt. I mean, one, so just some of the things that come to mind. One, it was, it's so participatory, right? It's not just something the leaders off do somewhere else. Every family has a lamb. And one rabbi says that, it says that every family member was supposed to spend time with the lamb. There's a sense that everybody participates. It's for, it's for every individual, for the kids, for the mom, for the dad, for the grandparents, for every family, and for the whole people group together. It's participatory. It's costly. It costs something. There's this, this, this picture that God says, it's gonna, I want you to be free, but there, it's going to cost something to get you free. It's going to take a sacrifice to get you free. It's going to cost something. And, and, and there, there's also there's this profound sense that it's not the people doing it for themselves. I mean, this over, God is the initiator here. He is the one doing the rescuing. It's clear the people are not rescuing themselves. They're not setting themselves free. It's clear God's the one saying, I am the one who's going to be doing the freeing work here. I will be rescuing you. And it happens. Through this, through this uh, act, you see the, the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they have the, the very death of every firstborn male that they wanted to bring on 
the Hebrews, that very death boomerangs around back on themselves and God protects his people from it. And through this, the blood on the doorway, God leads his people to freedom. And then there's these festivals, these rituals around this. So year after year after year, this people group, they remember this rescue event. And because these are the people who say, we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us. And so over a thousand years later, it's this festival remembering this rescue that's taking place in Jerusalem when Jesus shows up. Now think about this. Jesus, last week of his life, on Thursday, he has a meal with his friends. It's the, the meal of the lamb. When, they, when they, that day, the lamb has been killed, and they have this, they call it the Passover meal. They have the lamb, they have bread, they have wine, they have herbs, and they're remembering this, this blood, uh, this death of the lamb, when God rescued them through this. And that's the 14th, right? Now, what day... In Exodus 12, when we read it, what day did they pick out the lambs? The 10th. So math majors in the room. If Thursday is the 14th, and scholars d- debate over exactly when it started and ended, but basically Thursday is the 14th when they have this. When, what day of the week is the 10th? Sunday. The 10th. So Sunday in Jerusalem... Everybody's there looking for a lamb. It's a lamb selection day. Sunday, lamb picking day. It's time to, pick, it's time to select our lamb. This lamb that represents the, the, the way God's going to use this, the life of this lamb to lead us into freedom because we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us. It's lamb selection day. And Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and he walks into the temple and he says, here I am. Don't ever think that Jesus was some ignorant peasant stumbling into death. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. He spoke, he taught with words, he taught with symbolic actions. He knew exactly what he was doing when he showed up in Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And he knew exactly what he was doing on the Passover meal that 14th of the month. When they, when they sacrificed the lambs and they had this meal, remembering the blood on the doorway, how God led them to freedom, and they had bread and they had wine, they had herbs, and Jesus gathered with his close friends and he said, my body is given for you, my blood is shed for you. And as they're remembering the blood on the doorway that led to their freedom, Jesus is saying, my blood is the way to freedom. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, what was he trying to communicate about his death? What was he trying to say to them? He's using this rescue event to explain what he's doing. And what was he trying to say? I think a lot of times, a lot of times uh, in, in, kind of in the Christian world, a lot of times we'll talk about, uh, when we talk about what Jesus did in his death, we'll, we'll talk about um, guilt and forgiveness We'll talk about a debt being paid. We use this kind of language. You're familiar with this? You've heard this kind of language before? Yeah, and that's good and true, but I think, I think Jesus is doing something a little different here. I think he's saying he wants our freedom. He wants to set us free from some things. He wants our freedom. Jesus in... Uh, 
in John chapter 8, you don't need to flip there, we'll have it up on the screen just real quick. John chapter 8, he's talking about this, kind of the, the power behind this dominion of darkness, the way, the way we all have a little bit of Egypt in us. And he says, he says uh, in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, everybody who participates in the self-centered way of being, everybody who sins is, does it say guilty of sin? What's it say? It's a slave. To sin. Somehow it's a power over people. It owns us. A later Christian thinker uh, by the name of Paul, writing in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 3, he's writing about the same thing. In in Romans 3, uh, verse 9, he's saying, For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, so he's saying everybody, everybody are alike under the, and what does it say, debt of sin? What word does he use? Power of sin. That there's a sense, there's this, this, this power behind that dominion of darkness is still at work inside of us and outside of us that somehow it controls people, it owns people, it gets its hooks into people. And later on, the same writer, Paul, writing to people in Colossae, would use uh, the same kind of imagery in, in Colossians 1, uh, verse 13, he says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. I think Jesus, in the way He's orchestrating this last week of His life, He's trying to say that He wants, he wants to set people free. He wants us free. And not just free to live however we want, to do whatever we want. He wants, to, he wants to deliver us from this way that we're controlled by things into His kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of light. Because when you begin worshiping the God who hears the cry of the oppressed, the God who's moved to compassion, the God who sees the lowest of the low, the God who would go to the cross on our behalf, when you begin worshiping that God, you begin walking in the kingdom of light. It shapes how we live, how we treat one another, our friendships, our families, our society. He says, I want to set you free. And I think it it pushes a question on us about what are we enslaved to? What do we need to be set free from? What parts, what parts of our life, uh, what parts of our life are we owned by things? Where might Jesus be wanting to set people free? There's ways that anxiety and worry can begin to own us. We get anxious about things. And it's the last thing we think about before we go to bed. And the first thing we think about in the morning. And we run over it and over and over and over it in our minds. And I don't know about you, but when I get anxious about things, when I get worried, when I st- those things start to own me, it's not so much just about the fact that that thing's important. It's about the fact that I don't really trust God to be good in that situation. And I need to control it for myself. And I think Jesus wants to set us free from that into the kingdom of light. You can trust me. What, what, what are we enslaved to? What about secrets? The way secrets can own us. We have these secrets in our life about, it could be about sexuality, it could be about 
uh, pornography. It could be about our bodies, the way we hurt ourselves, the way we relate to food. It could be a, a relationship where it is just struggling, but we haven't told anybody. And there's this, this, this power that secrets can get over us. And I, I don't know about you, but when I have these secrets, the more I keep it secret, the more powerful it gets. And I think Jesus wants to set people free. He wants to set people free. He wants to rescue us and lead us into a kingdom where we know his forgiveness. We'd be authentic. We could be honest with others. What about hurt? The the ways that hurt can own us. They have wronged us. They have done this. It was unfair. It was unjust. It was wrong. And now this, 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 this hurt, this bitterness, we just feed it. And it gets into our minds and it owns us. And we refuse to forgive. And it controls us. I wonder if Jesus wants to set us free. Let me teach you how to be let me teach you how to forgive and be free of that. Let me invite you to live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. What, what, are, what are we enslaved by? What owns us? What controls us? What compulsions? Do we need to just say to Jesus, I can't get out of this on my own. I need you to rescue me. Jesus comes orchestrating the last week of his life. And I think he's speaking to us about his desire to set us free. We're going to move now. Give us uh, together respond through uh, the partaking in communion. Jesus showed up uh, on the 10th Lamb Selection Day and on the 14th, like I said before, that when they're having this meal that remembers the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb on the doorway, the way to freedom, when they're having that meal, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, my body is broken for you, my blood is shed for you. Remember the blood of the lamb on the upright and the crossbar that led to freedom. And the next day, his blood would be on the upright and the crossbar to lead the way to freedom. And not just freedom to do whatever he wanted, but he said, but he wants to lead us into his kingdom. That as we follow him, we become like him and walk in his kingdom of light. And for uh, followers of Jesus I think many of us experience this both as a one-time event and an ongoing event. That there's this, the, the, these twin realities, that there comes a point um, when we begin following Jesus, we say, I need to be rescued. I've been, I've, been walk, I've been in this dominion of darkness, this self-centered, it's about me, this arrogant, this uh, uh, apathetic way of life. I need to be rescued. And we begin being rescued by Jesus. But also as we walk with him, when you walk with Jesus, you realize you need to be rescued. I need to be rescued over and over and over again. And so this morning is uh, a chance to be rescued again. And we're going to take communion, and I'll invite those serving communion to come forward now. And the way we're going to do it this morning uh, is we're going to have five stations around the room, two in front and three in the back. Uh, the back one in the center, as always, will be the gluten-free station. And you can grab your, uh, your basket and your cup and just head 
uh, to the station you're going to. The back and the center will be gluten-free. And what we'll do is uh, we'll form lines. And the lines that we, we go through this morning uh, will go through the doorway, if you're able, uh, before receiving the bread and the cup. And as you do that, I would encourage you uh, to reflect on those questions. What does Jesus want to set you free from today? How does he want to rescue for you from the dominion of darkness, this power? And how does he want to invite you into his kingdom, his way of being?